As Jordan mentioned, we're going to encourage everybody to wear their Know Your Enemy shirt uh, next Sunday as we wrap up this series. It's really interesting to me how much feedback I've gotten on this series. I've had a few different people tell me they thought this was the best series I've ever done. And I think sometimes we just don't talk enough about the enemy that we're facing and how he works. And if you've not been with us in this series, what we've been talking about is the fact that we're at war. Um, I want to look you in the eye. I'm going to tell you again, the devil is just as real as the God that we serve. And we need to understand that. And the more that we understand how he works and the ways that he tries to involve himself in our lives, the more victorious we can be. Again, look me in the eye for a second. Hear my heart. God has created us to be victorious. Amen? We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus our Lord. But that's not the life that the enemy wants us to live. And I want to say to any of you who maybe have been church people or you've tuned in online from once in a while, but you've still not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and ask him be, to be the Lord of your life, ladies and gentlemen, that's the first step. Because if, if Christ is not the Savior of your heart, if you've not committed your life to him and committed yourself to follow him, you're dead already. And I, I'd encourage you to take that step. But even if you have taken that step, please, we're going to talk about this today. Know this, the enemy is not going to give up on you. In fact, he's going to ramp up his attack in, in different ways. Everybody say the word sneaky. sneaky. Say it again, sneaky. sneaky. How many of you know some sneaky people in your life? Yeah. How many of you brought them with you to church today? Yeah. Yeah. Some of us are like that. We're kind of sneaky, especially at Christmas time. Some people love being sneaky at Christmas and doing, you know, doing different kinds of things. Well, when I was working on this series about the enemy, and I started thinking about all the different ways that the enemy works, one of the things that hit me was how subtle he is and how deceiving he can be. And one of the things, I remember just sitting at my desk thinking, just sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. And I thought, that's a great sermon title. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about the side doors that the enemy tries to come through. Um, you know, most of us in our journey of faith, we, we keep that front door closed. You know, if this enemy's trying to tempt you with big sin that you know is wrong and all that, you know, some of us, you know, in our journey of faith, we, have, we don't really have a problem kind of keeping that door shut. But I don't think we're always aware of the side doors that the enemy comes through to reduce our walk with God and to create distance between us and our Heavenly Father. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. If the enemy can't get you to join his side then his next goal is to create uh, as much distance between you and God as possible to make your journey here on earth as ineffective as it can be. Does that make sense to you? That's what I want to talk about, and I, I want to look at how the enemy operates in sneaky kind of ways, and I'm going to bet that you're probably going to find at least one or two of these that you've had to deal with. You ready? Here we go. Once you take your sermon outline out, you can track along with me. Once you look at a passage of scripture uh, from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verse 3, read it out loud with me. But I'm afraid that your minds might be seduced in the same way as the snake deceived Eve with his devious tricks. You might be unable to focus completely on a genuine and innocent commitment 
to Christ. And Paul did a great job there in summing up this is the enemy's, the enemy's goal. He wants to deceive us. He wants in sneaky ways to, to just kind of make that commitment not as tight or as powerful as it ought be. Well, how does he do that? Well, let me give you a few ways. You ready? Here's the first one. First one is what I call the blah syndrome. The blah syndrome. How many of you have ever had the spiritual blahs? You just feel blah. Yeah, it's so funny how many times people use that word when they're talking to me about their walk of faith. And I'll say, you know, how, how are you doing? And you say, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I just, I just feel blah. You know, it's not, I don't know what's wrong. I just, I just kind of feel blah. Well, that happens. And, and one of the things that I thought about, and I, I, I thought, well, let me just use that little BLA as an acronym. And this is kind of how the enemy creates the blahs. It's because we get busy, we get lazy, or we become apathetic. Busy, lazy, or apathetic. Now, the busyness I talked about in the very first message, on, or the second message, on, or maybe the first one, the, the best defense is a good offense. And I talked about the fact that, you know, sometimes we just get so busy with life, work, kids, you know, recreation, all these kinds of things. We get so busy doing other things that we don't make time for God in our life. And if we're so busy with other activities that we don't have time for God, look at me, we're too busy. Amen? I said this in the very first series. If you don't have time to sit down and spend at least some time in the Word of God or spend some time in prayer communicating with God or, and spend some time connecting with other believers, if you don't have time for those three things, the enemy's already winning the war with you because that's how we stay connected. And so that busyness is one of those things that he does. And we'll circle back to that at the end in a different way. The second one is lazy. Come on, it's just us. We're in church. It's always a great place to confess. God knows your heart. He knows what you struggle. How many of you be honest enough to admit you have a little bit of a lazy streak in you? Yeah, we, yeah, we do sometimes. Yeah, and, and some of us are very diligent, and some of us, you know, are very, but some of us, you know, it's just easy to get away. And, and, and you know, again, it takes, it takes time to open God's word. It takes time to sit and pray. It takes time, especially when we've got other things to do. Sometimes, you know, again, I, I, I love movies, and I love to watch my Oklahoma City Thunder, you know, and, and so it's real easy for me to, you know, sit down and boof, you know, and go, you know, it's just real easy because then I've got the TV talking to me, and I don't have to do anything but take it in, and it's just real easy to get in that lazy, lazy mode. And sometimes if we're not careful, let's be honest, we give so much time to other things that we're being lazy about our journey of faith. But here's the third one. I've talked about both of those before. Let me talk about this third one. Apathetic. Apathetic. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Anybody remember how he responded? It's to do what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Now, what would you think is the key word in there? All. Everybody say all. All. But here, here's the deal. You see, what, what God wants from us is a passionate, all-out commitment to him. God does not want us to be laissez-faire about our relationship with him. He doesn't want our relationship to him to be just one of the things that we do in our life. God wants us to love him with the same intensity of love that he loves us. In fact, in the Old Testament, he says the same thing. Jeremiah 29, 13. He said, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me, anybody know, with all of your heart. 
New Testament, Old Testament, it's the same thing. What God wants is all. And what the enemy wants to do, you gotta get this, what the enemy wants to do, the enemy, if he can't get you to join his side, he'll settle just to make you religious, but not passionate about God. And some of us, if we're honest, some of the mindset that we slip into in our journey of faith is that we are asking ourselves the question, have I got enough God to get into heaven? Rather than asking the question, have I got all of God that I can get? Do you understand the difference? God wants us to be as passionate about him as he is about us. I love, um, anybody ever read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters? Anybody ever read that? It's, just, it's easy reading. It's great reading. But in, the, in the, that, that book, I thought about this so many times through this series. C.S. Lewis, he said it was the hardest book that he wrote because he had to take on the mind frame of Satan. And basically in the screw tape letters, it's an elder demon, uncle demon, writing to his nephew who's just starting out in the demon business. And he's giving him tips on how to deal with people who are making commitments to Christ. And here's one of the things that he says I just thought was so good uh, on, on your outline. I put the quote. He said, if you, can get, um, if you can once get him to the point of thinking that religion is all very well uh, up to a point, you can feel quite happy about his soul. Listen to this. A moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all. And it's more amusing. Let that sink in for a second. Because my question to you today is, you know, not, you know, do you think you might get to heaven? But my question to you today is, are you as passionate about God today as you were the first day that you committed your life to him? Are you loving him with all that you have and all that you are? Look at what Peter says in 2 Peter 3.18. Read it out loud with me. Let the wonderful kindness and understanding that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, help you to keep on growing. Praise Jesus now and forever. I love uh, Soren Kierkegaard, a philosopher a century or two ago, wrote, he was a Danish guy that had a great mind. And he wrote this, he wrote this little story that was so, was, was so interesting, but it's so, it's so to the point he talks about a town uh, that where only ducks lived. And here's what he says. Every Sunday, the ducks would waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. They waddled into the sanctuary and they sat in their right proper pews. The, chuck, the duck choir waddled in, took its place, and then the duck minister came in, uh, came forward, and he opened the duck Bible. And he read to them, ducks. God has given you wings, and with wings, you can fly. With wings, you can mount up and soar like eagles. No wall can confine you. No fence can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings, and you can fly like birds. And all the ducks shouted, amen. And then they all waddled back to their homes. Do you get this? Look at me, just hear my heart. God's created you to fly. And the enemy, he just wants you to waddle along all the rest of the days of your life. Another quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, he says, indeed, the safest road to hell 
is the gradual one, the gentle slope, the soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, and without signposts. Let me give you another one. What's another side door the enemy comes in through? It's pride. And here's what I want to call it. I called it pride intoxication. Pride intoxication. Pride intoxication is where we stop putting our faith in God. And without knowing it, we start putting our faith in ourselves. And we start believing we can do this all on our own. And it's very subtle and it is very powerful. I love 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, uh, chapter 10 and verse 12. This is from uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase called The Message. Read it out loud with me. He says, don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. I love that. Cultivate God confidence. Not confidence in me, but confidence in what Christ can do in and through me. Now, when I was thinking about this, I thought of kind of several ways that that happens. Let me, get, let me just give you three of them. The one is what I call intoxication by accomplishment. Intoxication by accomplishment. And in that, it's when we do something significant and it makes us feel so good about us, we, we kind of take our minds off of what got us there and, and how we did it, okay? And uh, I, I saw this, some of you have seen clips on YouTube before about people who celebrated too soon. And uh, this, was, this was a really cool one I saw not long ago. Uh, this is a soccer event, and this is a guy kicking. It's an extra point thing that we're trying to kick, uh, kick the goal to, to win the game, you know, kind of stuff. And uh, here we go. Watch, you can watch how the goalie responds. Here we go. That's got to hurt. I don't care. That's got to hurt. But I, I thought that's a perfect visual of what I'm talking about. You know, the ball hits the, hits the top of the goal and goes up, and the goalie just thinks it's over. You know, and he, he, he's so intent on celebrating, so intent on showing off. I did this. We blocked this. We won. We won. We won. And he's not, he took his eye off the ball, which is bouncing right back toward the goal. Now, that happens to us in our journey of faith. Um, I always tell people, when, we're, when they're being baptized. Don't think that simply because you're being baptized that your, your fight is over. Trust me, it's only just begun. Because the moment you take that step of faith, the enemy is gonna do everything he can to take your eyes off of that and make you think, oh, I'm baptized now, I've got this. And the moment you turn a blind eye, that's when he slips in, that's when he attacks, and that's when he comes at you, amen? Yeah, intoxication by accomplishment. The second one is intoxication by comparison. And this is one I know a lot of us, a lot of us do from time to time. If we're honest, a lot of us. 
You got a struggle in your life. You got a sin you haven't overcome. You've got an attitude you need, you know you need to deal with. You've got something that's really keeping you from being that man, woman of God that you, you ought to be. You can fill in the blank for whatever that is for you. But the enemy doesn't want you to let go of that. He wants to keep you limping along in, in your face. So what does he do? He gets you to take your eyes off of your own issue, and guess what? He wants you to look at the issues of other people. And here's, here's, what, here's what you hear whispering in your ear. Well, at least you don't sin like this. Or at least you're not as bad as him or her. Yeah, you got your own struggles, but you know, your struggles are small compared to whatever. You fill, you fill in the blank. And what happens is we somehow justify ourselves and we make room for things that are not of God because we're comparing ourselves to other people. You know, it's the story Jesus told about in Matthew when he, when he talks about the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who both go to the temple. And the Pharisee gets to the temple and you know, he raises his hands before God and he, he, he brags to God, Lord, I'm, I'm following your law. I, I tithe. I give you 10%. I, I'm doing all this great stuff and, and I don't sin like these people. You know, I don't, I don't lie and I don't cheat. And I don't steal. You know, I don't, I don't do all those things and I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. You hear the pride? And he's saying this before God, and then the tax collector, Jesus says, holds his hands up before God and beats his chest, and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and Jesus says, you know what? He's talking to these very religious people. He's saying, it's the tax collector who's going to go home justified before God, not the Pharisee. You see, the Pharisee, looking at everybody else, rather than focusing on God. Here, look at me. Just want you to hear my heart. Hebrews reminds us, fix your eyes upon Jesus. He's the author and finisher of our faith. If you're going to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to Jesus. My guess, that'll leave you still hungering for a little more. Amen? You bet. Let me give you one more. Intoxication by overconfidence. Intoxication by overconfidence. This is an intoxication that we get, I think, with pride, where we, you know, we've journeyed for a long time with God. And I've been a Christian for 25 years or 30 years. And, and we get kind of settled in the fact that, you know, I've been, I've been around the church a long time. I've been around the Bible a long time. I've been around God. We're not really asking the question, how fervent is my faith today or, or how sorry, but, but, but there's a little bit of an overconfidence that develops because we've done this for a long time or maybe even had a few victories along the way. That sets us up for failure. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's a... John Sedgwick, John Sedgwick was a, a general in the Union Army back in the Civil War, and he was a very successful one. Uh, had a lot of accomplishments, had been wounded before. He was really looked at as a hero. Uh, he went to, uh, he was assigned uh, in, on May of 1863, on, on May 9th, he ended up in Spotsylvania, Pennsylvania, uh, taking command of the troops there. And when he got there, when he arrived there, they were, uh, they were telling him that uh, the Confederate sharpshooters had been out and that they had been taking pot shots uh, at people all day long and, you know, to be careful. 
But uh, again, he'd been in the war a long time. He was a very successful general. He, and he just, you know, just kind of forgot all of that. And, and he was messing around with some stuff. And he got his horse and he was walking over toward the open area where, they, where he could be seen. And several of the soldiers were yelling at him saying, you know, you, you want to get down. Those sharpshooters are out. And John Sedgwick stands there and he says, at this range, those guys couldn't hit an elephant. And those were the last words he spoke as a bullet from a Confederate rifle struck him in the head and killed him right where he stood. Uh, interesting, if you go to Spotsylvania, put that next picture up, there's a monument outside the courthouse to him uh, as being this uh, you know, famous general. And I laughed when I saw that. I said, now is that, is that a monument to his ability as a general or is that as a monument to his stupidity? Of, you know, which, which, which is that? Um, here, here's the deal. Let any man who stands take heed lest he fall. Pride goes before the fall. You, you hear this over and over again all through Scripture. Don't allow yourself to become intoxicated by pride. I, again, C.S. Lewis from the Screw Tape Letters, he says, tortured fear and stupid confidence are both desirable states of mind for this one that we call our enemy. Let me give you a third one, and I'm going to guess a lot of us have dealt with this side door the enemy uses, and that's what I call death by discouragement. Death by discouragement. First Kings 19 is a great story of the prophet Elijah who had just won this major encounter with the prophets of Baal. But no sooner does he get this incredible victory than he hears that Jezebel, his queen, has said, I'm going to take your life by the end of the day no matter what. And somehow that strikes fear into Elijah, and he, he runs for the hills. And he's kind of like, after all I've done, isn't, you know, is, 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 is this going to keep going on? And I want you to look at what he says. It says, as he, then he went, alone, went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, Look what he did. He prayed that he might die. Now read this next part out loud with me. I have had enough, Lord. Stop for a second. I have had enough, Lord. Come on, look at me. How many of you have ever said that? I've had enough, God. I've had enough. Elijah says, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Really interesting to me that often when I'm talking to people about how the, how the enemy works, that we often think that the things that happen, happen because the enemy does them. I don't really believe that. Um, I believe life comes with ups and downs, but it's in those downs that the enemy works. Um, for instance, um, you know, you have a flat tire. It's real easy to go... <laughs> enemy didn't, you know, the enemy flattened my tire. No, he probably didn't. It was probably a nail, probably a screw, probably that. But how do you react to that? That's where the enemy works. See, you can come out and find a flat tire and you're in a hurry and you can go, oh, why does this always happen to me? God, why do you abandon me? And you can, you, you can move into that frame of mind or you can go, flat tires happen. The rain falls on the just and the unjust and the sun shines on the good and the bad. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. How many of you found that to be true? Yes, it happens. It happens. But this is where the enemy works because he wants you to believe you're being singled out. 
He wants you to believe this is, this is something going on, and this is where he wants to take it, and he wants to just jump up and down on you, you know, and he just wants to kind of mash you down because he knows if he can get you to be discouraged, then you'll stop working so hard for God. A lot of us, when we get discouraged, if we're honest, when we get discouraged, what do we do in our faith? We just tend to pull away from God. We tend to pull away from the people of God. We tend to pull away from the Word of God. And we just kind of go into a spiritual fetal position and let time pass. I put the statement on your outline. The enemy doesn't have to destroy you if he can just get you to wish you were dead. Amen. There was a, a, a blog I read of a group of intervarsity uh, folks who were um, working a summer. Uh, they spent kind of on a local missions deal out in L.A. They were um, serving as volunteers in a convalescent home. And there was a group, about 10 of them, and they were going to spend the summer there in this convalescent home with, with older patients and um, a lot of these older patients were, you know, had been there a while. Some of them had families who had never visited them. Some of them had no families. Uh, some of them struggled with mental illness, and it was, it was a really tough environment. And what they found is that hurting people can hurt people. And so as they were dealing with these elderly people who had so many problems in their life, they, weren't always, they didn't always react well to the kind of care that they were giving them. And the guy who was writing it, the head of the team, said that what he discovered was that this kind of this cloud of discouragement became kind of over the whole team. And he said in their, in their meetings, he said their weekly meetings, they, they started talking more and more about how they wished they weren't there and how they wished they had taken another job this summer and how they had done all of this stuff. And he said you could just see the morale sinking lower and lower and lower and people were less energetic about, you know, getting up and really being a part of it, helping he said it was so crazy, though. One day, he said he was standing in the hall with three or four of his, his team at this convalescent center, and he said this, this elderly woman walks up to him, taps him on the back, and he turns around, and she said, he said she points her little bony finger at him, and she says, I know why you're here. And he's like, okay, why are we here? And he said, this woman says, smiled, and she said, you're here to show us that God has not forgotten us. And he said, and with that, she turned on her heel and walked away. And he said, they were, he was standing there just stunned with his other three or four workers. And he said, two or three of them just started crying. Because that was exactly what they needed to hear. And the team leader said, all of a sudden, I realized that, you know, we had been so focusing on this reaction that we were getting. He said, we, we didn't realize that the Spirit of God really was using what we were doing. And we were allowing the enemy to use this discouragement to, to help us have less energy to move us further away. And he said, that one moment in time completely changed the, the whole tone of things. And he said, we began to just fully give ourselves to it. And he said, by the end of that summer, several of my team had become personal close friends to some of the people in this convalescent home and he said they continued to at least write to each other until the day that they died. You got to get this. 
Because every single Christian I know goes through a time of discouragement. And I'm going to tell you, it's in those low moments that the enemy is working overtime to try to get you to back up, back off, quit what you're doing, cut off your relationships. Those are the moments he wants to try to isolate you. Does this make sense? Discouragement is one of his greatest tools. Let me give you one last one. Another way that the enemy comes in from the side door is when we become a holy workaholic. A holy workaholic. And what I mean by that is even though I, as a pastor, am incredibly thankful for every single one of you who volunteer and work in the life of the church or involve yourself in working in uh, you know, very uh, great organizations in our community, sometimes that work for God begins to replace our relationship with God. Are you with me? Now, look at me. Hear my heart. God created you to be a human being, not a human doing. And, and sometimes what the enemy wants is he wants us, again, to become so busy at, at doing the things that we do for him that we don't have time to spend with him. And, and, and you have to think of it a little bit like a parent or a grandparent. You know, when your, your kid or your grandkid, you know, comes into the room and they've, they've got some little drawing that they've done for you, you know, and something that they've done. And you go, oh, that's so cute. Thank you, you know, and, and all of that. You, you, you love the fact that they're doing stuff for you like that. But more than anything else, what do you want? You want them to sit on your lap. You want them to wrap their arms around you. You want them to, to hold you and let you hold them. You want to be loved by them. You want connection, not just efforts. Does that make sense? And the same thing with God. Again, it's, it's wonderful that we involve ourselves in things, and, and, and that's a wonderful thing to do, and all of us should do it. But never let the things that you're doing for God replace your relationship with God. Amen. Even Jesus backed off from the things that he did to spend time with his father. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Jesus, in the, some of the peak of his ministry, it said, despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. Read it with me, church. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I'll never forget the day that that verse hit me and I wrote in the margin of my Bible, if Jesus needed to do this, so do I. Amen. Again, the great C.S. Lewis, I read this quote and I, just, I thought this was just so good. Throw that quote up on the screen for me, please. Could I get that C.S. Lewis quote up here? Are we frozen, Lee? It's a great quote. 
<laughs> it's a great quote. Here's what, here's what it says, if I can remember. We're for, there we go, okay. God doesn't want something from us. Read it with me. He simply wants us. Look at me. He simply wants you. How are you doing on your journey of faith? Just a question. But are you passionate about God and your relationship with Him? If not, I'm going to suggest that maybe, maybe you've opened up a side door that the enemy has kind of wedged himself in. Maybe you got the blahs, you know, you're too busy, you're too lazy, or you've kind of just grown apathetic. Maybe, maybe pride has slipped in. And you've kind of thought, I've, I've been with him so long that you, you forget that you, you need him. He's the vine, you're the branch, and without him, you can do nothing. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe, again, it's been a hard year. And maybe along the way, you've allowed the discouragement to just create distance. Maybe rather than leaning into God for comfort and strength, maybe you've pulled away from God and isolated yourself a bit spiritually. Or maybe for some of us, man, we've been, we've been busy. I'm, I'm going to tell you, we talk about this on our staff. We're going through a book right now called uh, uh, Healthy Leaders. and talk about the emotionally healthy leaders and how easy it is to become just pastors who do and and not just pastors, not pastors who really lean into God. And we need that. Rachel needs that. I need that. We all need that. And this morning, I want this to be a moment where we just draw close again. Now, Rachel's going to lead us in this song, one of my favorite songs of all time, called Draw Me Close to You. And after we sing this song, I just want to pray a prayer and ask God's spirit to fall fresh and new upon each and every one of us. Now, you can pray right where you are. You can do that and have God meet you there. That's fine. There may be some of you that say, you know what, I'm, I, I want to I mark this moment because I, I feel like I've been sliding and I don't want to slide anymore. And some of you may want to slip out and you can come. You can kneel here at the front for your own moment with God or you can stand before him here at the front. Just if you want to mark the moment that way, you're more than welcome to do that. But after we sing this song, I want to pray, and, and, and I just want to ask you to open your heart and mind to God filling you fully and completely with his Holy Spirit. Father, that's the cry of our heart today, that you would open your arms to us and that we would come running to you. Lord, it's amazing sometimes when we just stop and realize how many side doors that the enemy uses to get into our life. And even though he knows we're never going to abandon you and run the other way, and he's never going to get us to join his side. But Father, what he'll settle for is then just creating as much distance as possible. But today, Lord, we rebuke the enemy by the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we declare that he will have no place in our lives. Lord, we close that gap today. We open our arms to you. Father, we, we renew our commitment this morning. Help us to passionately love you the way that we did at the beginning. Tear down our pride and help us know every day how dependent we are upon you. Lord, remove that cloud of discouragement. Help us to hang tenaciously onto you no matter what's going on around us. And Father, help us to not be so much of human doings. Help us to be human beings. Help us to be your children 
who are loved wonderfully and magnificently by you and to return that love back to you each and every day. Father, my prayer today is that you would help us to grow and become the men and women of God that you have called us to be. And it's in your precious name we pray today. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, a couple things before I, I turn it over to Rachel this morning. Um, one is I, I want to remind you, last week I did a, a little thing on you say, God says, and if you didn't pick up those sheets of promises, uh, uh, those are out in the lobby. I want you to grab one of those, and I hope that you will uh, keep that somewhere where you can read it and know the promises of God for you. Second thing I want to say to you is, is, is anywhere along the way you're struggling in your walk of faith, I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. It's a part of the human journey. There's nothing to feel ashamed about in your struggle sometimes in your walk of faith. It is a struggle at times. But don't bear it alone. Call the office. Let one of us come alongside of you or call another trusted Christian friend. And let's fight this war together. Amen. Amen.